Hello, everybody, and welcome to our third episode from Equality in Business, our podcast to create awareness about equality in the business world by actively engaging students about relevant topics in a professional manner. My name is Dina. I'm a master student at Catholica Business School and the founder of our Equality in Business Club. Today, I'm here with Ola Jungerius. Jungerius, I hope I pronounced it the right way. Perfect. An intercultural, <laughs> Thanks. Um, an intercultural trainer and diversity and inclusion consultant. Ola knows exactly what she's talking about as she lives internationality. She was born in Russia, raised in New Zealand and educated in Europe. Ola helps executives and corporates eliminate communication challenges and has delivered intercultural and inclusion trainings to the employees of companies such as BNP Paribas, the German Federal Ministry of Defense, Deutsche Bank, as well as various business schools and universities. Besides that, she has founded Berlearn, a community, a community of diverse professionals. And in 2014, she has even represented New Zealand at the United Nations Alliance of Civilization Conference in Bali. Very, very impressive. A warm welcome to you, Ella, and thanks for joining us. Hi, Dina. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Great. So based on your strong expertise, Ola, I think it's, it's obvious that our today's episode will be about intercultural communication. I think this is a topic specifically interesting to our fellow students. Um, as we've all experienced, communication between people from different cultural backgrounds is extremely challenging and difficult to manage as it's reported to be a major source of stress and complication in group projects as well, especially in a university setting. However, in today's world, it's absolutely essential to be able to overcome the initial discomfort and have strategies in place to build fruitful relationships. Based on that, we'll dig a little bit on that in the reasons why all these challenges arise and define ways on how to solve them. Sounds good? Sounds perfect. Great. So before we dip deep dive into our today's topic, um, we'd like to introduce the episode with our ritual. So Ola, as we ask all our guests, um, would you please continue the following two statements? Equality means to me, da da da, um, and an ideal workplace deals with. All right. Um, equality means to me when I'm not given a head start due to my privilege um, and someone is not left behind due to less fortunate background or upbringing. Um, and ideal place, an ideal place deals with things like microaggression immediately before it turns into something more serious. And this is where a place where I can bring my whole self to work without being judged, uh, being afraid to be judged or criticized if my behavior, personality, background, education, religion, culture, or values differ from the majority of the colleagues, I would say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could definitely identify with that. Actually, in my first job, um, I, I was so afraid of not being able to be myself and having to play a role. So, so I would surely agree on that point. <laughs> All right. Um, so to dig into the topic, um, I think especially why, why I think this is a crucial topic for, for Catholica students, for, which is main of our audience, is that at Catholica University, we have 60 different nationalities. Oh. And I would say each and every one of us had this feeling at least once. You're put together in a group project and it simply does not work. So everyone wants something <laughs> else and finally ends up with a big conflict. And then you often hear, yeah, I had a really bad team this time. Um, or someone else, yeah, I was lucky. I had a good group, uh, group this time. 
So what is behind this statement? Is, a, is there a universal good or bad for groups or for the quality of groups? What would you say? <laughs> That's a good question. There is no universal good or bad, I would say, because we're all very, very different. And well, there is universal, as some people might think, Western perspective of what is universal. <laughs> But the world is a lot, much, a lot bigger than just the Western perspective. But uh, to answer your question, Dina, we as humans, we tend to favor people that are just like us, that have similar values, that look like us, that behave like us, that have the same hobbies, the same personality. Um, so quite often it happens that we think um, in-group, out-group thinking. So in favor people that are in our group, that are very similar to us, um, it evolved through evolutionary psychology, the way people tend to be in their own little tribes and anything else that was foreign was bad. So basically it, it you know, it, it happens where people clutter together in a way that um, you believe that this is the only universal way to do things. And you like, if you like to do things very detailed and very step-by-step, -step, very punctual, very organized, Um, and those are your values and someone in the team is more of a holistic approach to work, seeing a big picture, not really seeing the details. That's where the danger zone is. Um, so it's more about not what others are like, but what do you like? So that's why, you know, our values actually address and identify what could be potential problems with others because they do not match our expectations. <laughs> Yeah, I would even say it's probably not not referring to the result of the group project. So it doesn't mean that I'm expecting a good or bad grade, but it's more about, um, yeah, the, like the, the the other people in the group have been very, very different to yeah. me. And we didn't find an aligned way to work together. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think one of the big difficulties in that context as well is language. Um, so as I said, 60 different nationalities, obviously we don't speak the same language. Um, and English is for most of us not our mother tongue. So we can't communicate as clearly as we would be, uh, as, as we would do in our native language. Um, in your experience, what are the main problems that appear just by the fact that we are using a different language that is not our own? As we speak different languages, we have uh, several personalities. And if we speak a language that it's not our mother tongue, uh, we lose a lot of our personality with it. Um, You know, personally, in my example, I'm very formal and very organized when I speak German. Uh, and I'm very excited and very energetic and positive and very loud when I speak Spanish. Um, I'm very relaxed when I speak English because that's a language I use, say, 90% of the time and very intimate um, and very close Uh, when I speak Russian, because that's a language I use predominantly with my mom. So the same thing that could happen when we use uh, a language that is not our own, uh, we might try to appear not what we are, uh, but how we want to be seen, um, especially when we're not really comfortable with language, we might want to copy the style of um, native speakers, and we might appear to be more root and more direct, Uh, because that potentially could uh, make us seem more professional or more 
you know, better, better speaker over this particular language. Um, in an English language, even, even native speakers use the words guys, for example. Yeah. And the guys from the inclusive point of view, it's not very inclusive at all. Uh, so yeah. when you address a group of uh, both female and male, the guys, it's very limited uh, in a sense. So sometimes when you speak a different language that is not our own, we may misinterpret it and not really see all those little puns, all those little cues, intonations that a native speaker will be able to identify very fast. But for us, we might just ignore that because we wouldn't know the nuances of this particular language. Yeah. That's a really interesting perspective on it because um, I haven't really thought about the personality, although as you are, I'm also raised by bicultural and bilingual. So I, I absolutely agree with you. Um, when I speak Arabic, it's definitely more close and intimate um, to me personally, because I speak it with my mother mm. and my family. Um, than if I speak German, which I would say I'm definitely more more clear and organized and, and also would use completely different words um, and phrases than I would in Arabic. Yeah, but interesting perspective. The one thing I thought about first is, um, as also the level of English is very different among the students, is that sometimes you would like you have a specific intention of saying something, but you just can't bring it across because you're you're obviously not native, so you don't have all the vocabulary, and there's different kind of interpretation for different words and stuff like that. So even for English, I mean, there's there's so many different nuances from English from the oh, US absolutely, and the UK, absolutely, New Zealand. Yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. There's so much room for interpretation. Yeah, and sometimes you might just not be able to identify or be able to express yourself in the proper way, and you sound so simplistic. Um, and that yeah. makes you angry on the inside. You know, my German is not perfect. <laughs> and whenever I speak German, I'm like, I sound like a 10-year-old. Oh, my God. And so, <laughs> you know, and you feel less confident as well. You know, when I speak German... I really, I really don't feel confident speaking German in business because I just know that my clients would not see me to the same professional level as an expert, um, you know, when I speak German. So that's why I try to, to speak English more. And that's, you know, that, that really helps to, you know, change your personality a little bit when you, you use the language where you're more confident in. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree with you because I was working in sales before and uh, I spoke like three, three, four years ago, I spoke very much better French than I do now, but um, I felt confident on, um, on acquiring uh, clients in French as well. And then I realized when we had the conversation that people didn't perceive me as very competent just because my language not, was mm -hmm. not, not perfect. Mm -hmm. So, uh, of course, if you feel like... Um, the other person is way worse than I am in this same language that we are communicating in. Um, yeah, I would say unconsciously biases happen. Absolutely, and, uh, absolutely. You can't change that. Yeah. All right. Um, really good point. Um, but another thing um, some of us may have noticed is that it's um, also more difficult to, to feel empathy for people that are not from the same country or at least not for the same culture. So the best example at, at Catholic at our university is the big difference between Portuguese and Germans. And I think every Portuguese or German that <laughs> listens to this will immediately understand what's going on because the cultures are very, very different. Uh, although we're both in Europe, 
um, but still um, big cultural differences that lead to a lot of conflict um, as we would approach things completely different. Um, so why do you think is it so difficult to create an understanding among each other? You know, in the very first point, birds are the same feather flock together. So it's natural. The same thing is about in-group, out-group. You know, we, we, we tend to feel more comfortable and more safe uh, with people that are similar to us. That's about unconscious bias. That's all about um, affinity bias. It's all about liking people that are just like us because um, we need to spend a lot of time, a lot less time trying to understand them, trying to um, decode the messages because we have a lot of shared context uh, with them. So people who are very different from us, um, you know, it's like meeting a stranger on the street. You don't really know what they want. You don't really, you, you need to spend a bit more time trying to understand them. And while with your best friend, um, you look at each other and you, you instantly know what you think. Um, so, you know, all this kind of nonverbal communication really needs a bit more time um, to understand, to actually, uh, to be able to emphasize each other. You know, I think it's a good example when you think about uh, horrible, horrible events that happened um, few years ago in the world when there were terrorist attacks in France, in, in Paris. And then the whole world, you know, changed the Facebook picture, emphasized, uh, you know, tried to feel empathy with the French people. And yeah, it's a very, very good thing. And the whole Western world, everybody talked about it. Um, but then when you look on the other perspective, and that's horrible things happen in Syria and natural disasters in, in uh, some Asian countries. And people didn't feel the same empathy because it seemed to be so far away and not really relevant um, for mm. Westerners. Uh, so in this perspective, I find this particular case a little bit um, uh, hypocritical. You know, it's like people are the same everywhere, but I mean, but it's normal because you feel empathy more people who are closer to you geographically or closer to you by values or mentality or you, you've been to that country. Um, but that's just to understand how people feel that when it's in terms of proximity, whoever is closer to them, whoever is shared more uh, context and has the same stories, um, the same bedtime stories mother used to tell or it's the same food or watch the same cartoons. So you have a lot more in common, more, a lot more there is under the surface than uh, on top of it. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, and I've, because I've uh, been engaging a little bit with uh, refugees as I speak Arabic. And uh, uh, so I had some, some projects in Germany, especially during my bachelor time um, to, to help um, refugees integrate um, into Germany. And I realized so quickly whenever I would say uh, Instagrammable, um, I don't want to say it in a rude way, but Instagrammable um, crisis happened, such as um, the terror attack in, in Paris, or um, let's say, for example, the, um, uh, the burning, uh, what was Notre burning Dame. in Paris? Rotterdam, no, Notre Dame, exactly. Um, yeah. I think these sort of topics um, immediately create a sort of community in Europe. We need to help each other. We need to get out of this. But then there are 
there are catastrophes that are, I would say, more far away from us, and it's we're very difficult to relate to them. Absolutely. And maybe people even feel uncomfortable with them and are afraid of them. So that's why why they simply don't speak about them, especially they don't relate to them. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. In in this context, you've said something about unconscious biases, um, and uh, I think this is this is something that is absolutely natural to us. So everyone is biased. We we can't. Um, I think we can't deny that. Um, but what we can do is being more conscious about it and understand it. Um, and this is even even a theory. So like uh, in order to save energy, we use shortcuts to quickly and efficiently judge people. Um, so we are called cognitive misers, right? Yeah. Um, in line with that. Um, so from your from your experience and perspective, which particular biases do you think are more present in intercultural communication and, and why are they so present? Okay, that's a quite interesting question. Um, I never thought of that. I mean, the first bias is definitely affinity bias. You know, if even if we work in the professional environment, um, a lot of biases occur when we, when we want to hire someone and when we want to hire, when we need to choose between someone, uh, two equal professionals, but someone from your country, you unconsciously might want to hire someone from your country because you you know a lot more about the person because you know this culture, you know this country. Uh, and it happens quite often, unfortunately. Another one is probably a halo effect. Um, when, for example, it means um, that you automatically attribute some positive aspects uh, of a particular person um, based on your previous experience for example you really like argentina uh, and you've been to argentina you just came back from a trip to argentina and then you met someone argentinian uh, in your group work in university and you say oh this person's argentinian oh i love argentina you must be a great person as well because i had such a great time in argentina um and it could be also the opposite it could be horns effect and you imagine you had um a negative experience um with someone from a particular country and then you meet someone else of this particular country and you automatically attribute, oh, okay, I've had a bad experience um, with an individual from this particular country before. Uh, I, I should be aware. I might repeat this uh, experience. Yeah, so you kind of unconsciously, it's kind of survival instinct for yourself. Um, another one is um, probably beauty bias. You know, there is a tendency to like people um, more if they are better looking and it's a it's a you know better looking in terms of their looks or they're taller um, it was quite interesting study done in I'm not sure was it Silicon Valley or was it somewhere else where there was a startup competition um, and it turned out that most people who got money from the from VCs uh, the people who are much taller. <laughs> so somehow yeah. there was a perception that taller man, it was obviously, it was particularly about men. I wasn't sure about this. It was particular about men, not about women, uh, but taller men are more successful and more confident and VCs felt, uh, virtual, uh, virtual capitalists uh, felt that their money would be safer with them. So that's, you know, this kind of beauty bias that you all have. Um, I, I've, experience it from a little bit of a different perspective yeah. i felt um bold men are taking more serious um than okay. men interesting because it seems like they're older and, and yeah 
Ah, <laughs> uh, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. Bruce Willis. I'm interested, yeah. of course, from from my personal perspective. So, to all the listeners who are um, approaching this moment when they're getting bored, there's your chance. Ask <laughs> Bruce. <laughs> Good. And uh, the last one would probably be confirmation bias. Yeah, when you had experience, it's kind of like combination of all when you had experience with something before, and then you kind of confirm um, that if you see the cues um, that happened before, and then you kind of decide that all oh, will definitely happen again. So if you, for example, yeah. I don't know, the person arrives uh, slightly late, uh, and this particular representation of a country tends to arrive late, you automatically attribute all this person is, I don't know, from Brazil, all Brazilians always arrive late. That's a kind of confirmation for you. And then, you know, it could be the, it could be the most uh, punctual Brazilian you've ever met, but something happened in the way and the person couldn't be on time, but you automatically have this confirmation biases for this particular yeah. country. Yeah. And I think if we all like um, really think about it, we will all find a situation where where we have been biased. Oh. Um, and I think it's important just to to accept this and to understand this, but to try to be more open and, and ask yourself why you're you're behaving like this, and then challenge yourself a little bit um, to think more open-minded. Absolutely, I think curiosity and being open-minded uh, is the first step, the first very very big step towards solving this problem. Yeah. Great. So that's uh, that's pretty much the best uh, transfer to, to the next part of the podcast, which will be then focusing more on how to solve it. We've talked uh, talking a lot about the, the problems and understanding why it is as it is. Um, but now let's look at, uh, yeah, how, how can we improve by using intercultural communication in that in that way? Um, so one of the claims that is usually made in articles is that in any type of intercultural communication, you should start by defining the rules of the game meaning participants should clearly state the assumptions and protocols of communication used. Um, so when I think about this, this, this sounds really German to me. <laughs> so if in a group work, someone asks to set up rules first. But on the other hand, I, I would say it, it sounds like it makes sense to communicate this first before heading into the group work. What do you think about this perspective? Uh, it's a very interesting perspective, and I agree, it's very German perspective. So once again, <laughs> it's only one perspective. Um, from my perspective, not saying that it's um, the, the correct one. I would say I disagree. Um, I don't agree with the fact that it's enough to have do's and don'ts uh, and to have shortcuts. I think it's not only not enough, but it even damages uh, the bigger picture. I really like to start with defining the values of particular uh, culture or cluster of cultures and then challenge my um, my group of participants trying to identify how those values would potentially affect behavior, communication style, relationship development style. So instead of just stating the rules, you know, Germans said this, Portuguese said this, Spanish said this, Italian said this, actually dig a little bit deeper and dig a little bit deeper and look for an underlying reason why they behave in this particular way. Um, so those ways could be come from could be influenced by geographical setting of a particular country, um, could be influenced by political system, history, economic situation, religion, or even climate. So there's so many, so many influencers that um, shape our values 
and those values shape our behavior. So by just stating do's and don'ts, I think it really reduces a lot of um, context and a lot of um, a lot of underlying reasons to actually understand that. So it's important to dig deeper in that and understand um, someone you're talking on a personal level, not that he or she behaves this way or that way. And also, you know, if you set the rules of do's and don'ts, um, it's also very generalistic. It's really creates lots of stereotypes. So you really need to understand why this particular person uh, or this particular culture tends to, not always, but has a tendency to act this particular way because this, 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 and this, and that happened. And then based on those underlying reasons, you can jump more into do's and don'ts based because you know the values. Yeah. 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 And I think one thing I remember from our first conversation is that you always also um, referred it to creating safe spaces. So um, do you mind if you explain what are exactly these safe spaces and what do they have to do with intercultural communication? And that? <laughs> no, that's, that's a very good question. Um, yeah, safe space is, you know, let me use an example um, how to best uh, define safe space. You know, imagine you're hiking with a group of strangers. Um, your back is really heavy and this makes you walk very, very slowly behind everyone else. It's cold, it's wet. Those strangers uh, are providing you the shelter for the night. And the shelter is a bit shabby. You see that the roof is leaking. Um, so you decide to make food all together, but your host forgot to give you a spoon. They seem for some reason very angry and you don't know why. It's cold, it rains, you don't feel safe. Uh, you don't feel comfortable. But you need to stay there for a night. So you don't, you don't really say anything. So you, but you see before you go to sleep that the roof is leaking. Um, but if you, don't, if you don't fix it, it's going to flood inside and destroy the heart. But you don't do anything and you anticipate the reaction of the heart to be negative. So you leave in the morning quietly, don't want to make any trouble. The next day, the heart floods. And imagine the second uh, scenario where you hike in exactly the same location and people are much kinder and the atmosphere is very supportive. They ask you why you're walking slowly um, and then you confess that your back is heavy. So they decide to distribute um, all the goods to everyone else because the back is very heavy and everyone is, is empty-handed. Um, it trains, but people seem positive, keep up the speed. And then the heart is still very dark, like in the first scenario, but then you feel more safe, you feel more comfortable, and then you volunteer to repair the roof that is leaking. So in, in, in a short, in a nutshell, you know, safe space is basically when you feel good, hurt, and comfortable, and be able to perform to the best of your ability, because you feel safe. It's like massive psychological needs. Um, you feel space, you feel good, you perform good. Um, and also another aspect, it's a brave space where you feel confident enough to challenge the status quo and move towards the edge uh, to discover what's beyond it. So bringing it back more to reality, you know, safe space for both universities or professional environments, it's very, very important because uh, students and employees, if they don't feel safe, 
uh, they will not be able to perform to the best of their ability. There will be a lot of external factors uh, that are not seen to everyone else um, that affect the student or employee because they don't, and they're not going to tell you um, why they're underperforming because they don't feel that they have this possibility. They're afraid there is a lot of fear going on. So that's why a lot of students fail because there are a lot of, uh, you know, they can't really speak up that uh, in admit that they have a problem or that's why a lot of employees leave the company because they feel not comfortable. They don't, they can't be themselves at work. They have to be someone else. Um, so it's very, very important for both student performance and the company performance to create this safe space, to talk about fears, to show a bit of vulnerability um, and to make sure everyone, no matter how uncomfortable they are in the situation and regardless of the need to say to the boss, uh, they feel comfortable to do that. Um, and if everybody speaks up, you know, it's better for the company, it's better for the performance and so on and so forth. And, and I can imagine if one person um, starts by creating such a safe space and, and uh, like maybe not judging people on behalf of what they said, but asking, what do you mean with that? Like, exactly. Why, are you exactly. why do you behave like this? I, I guess if one person starts with that, it creates also an, an environment and a culture within the team. Absolutely. That everyone else would like to, to add on that and to behave this way as if um, someone would uh, start judging someone else and then the next one judges him and it turns into a spiral of, yeah. of I would say, a really bad vibe. It's very contagious. It's very contagious from both good side and bad side. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So um, if uh, so, just adding to the example that I just gave, um, what do you think how... I mean, it's very difficult to put it in a in a short scenario, maybe. But how can I implement a safe space when I start a group project, for example? What are things that that might help me? Maybe questions I can ask or things I can say, for example. Um, it's important, maybe you know. And I said in the very beginning that I don't like to set rules in the beginning, but it's important <laughs> to sometimes you know address an elephant, you know, big, fat, stinky elephant that is in the room that is not even there yet. Um, but you really talk about what could potentially go wrong and how could we work on that before it goes wrong. So, you know, setting up some, you know, culture codes uh, and some, you know, you know, whenever you are in this situation, it's very important to be, for you to be a role model. If you have some fears, if you have some doubts, if you have some concerns, be that person that is the first to speak up and you'll be amazed how everyone else, oh, I really feel the same way. Thank you for mentioning that. And by the way, I think this, 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 and that. So it's very important for just one person to take the first step. Um, you know, show vulnerabilities, um, show imperfections, show what you don't know, because it's important to admit what you know and what you don't know to others. Um, you know, once one person showed it, it it's, it's, uh, it's like a domino effect. It helps others to open up as well. Yeah, absolutely agree. We actually have experienced that within our master group. So uh, we're a master of around 50 people um, in our study program. Um, and uh, from the beginning on, um, someone has shared a book, for example, that he bought and uh, uh, that everyone needs for a class. And instead of letting everyone buy it, someone just sent the book. 
And after that, another one that mm. like, I have a good summary for this course, like I'll share it with you. Instead of having these sharp elbows being like, of course, yeah. we're compared to each other. I want to be the best. No, like from the beginning on, as people have shared things and helped each other, everyone else wanted to be part of this and, and uh, continued sharing things with the others. Not even thinking about, this. Is, I don't want to help the others. No, it's... So it's a culture we've created. Ah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It really, it really makes me think of that's how communities are created. Yeah, you, it's like paid forwards. The more you give, um, especially in the community, you give, 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 and then you receive so much more back. It's multiplied. Um, so it's very important to you know create this culture where you know giving culture, and then everybody benefits from it in the tenfold. <laughs> yeah absolutely um i think the only thing that that seems to me a little bit challenging let's let's refer to the group projects at university again uh, is the time constraints so um i think um all these ideas are are amazing um and and very fruitful especially for companies or organizations um or, or even small startups but then it takes time to implement them and to make sure to practice them on a regular basis and make sure everyone's aligned with them so in a group project where you've got maybe two weeks uh, working with a group of complete strangers you've never met before um what would you say? So what can we do to achieve an effective communication with such strong time constraints and the fact that we don't know each other when we meet? Um, that's a very, very good point. And that's definitely difficult for a lot of people. Um, for some people, some people might need a bit of time to get to know others on a personal level. Others, um, you know, let's get work done first. I'm not really interested in who you are. Um, but I still believe uh, per getting a little bit on a personal level helps um, in identifying some rules. You know, the main problem with communication, the main problem when communication fails is when there is a lack of communication. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as you might have heard, it's, um, if you assume, you make an ass of you and me. <laughs> So assumption, assumption, assumption is the problem for everything because um, your reality is very, very different from the reality of a different person. Um, so what might mean soon might mean for you in an hour, for someone else it might mean in two days' time. Um, you know, getting work done before the deadline for some might mean uh, two days before the deadline for someone else it might mean <laughs> you know one minute before the submission <laughs> so for you it's very very important to clarify as much as possible there is no such thing as obvious thing when it comes to intercultural communication um, I'll give you an example there is um, I have recently done a workshop for a very diverse group of people uh, in one of the business schools in, in Berlin, one of the leading business schools for MBA students in, in Germany. Um, and the workshop, when I was um, asked to deliver a workshop, I was very surprised because to me it seemed, you know, they are very, very smart individuals from all over the world. Um, and what I've been commissioned to do was like basic, basic table manners in Germany, as well as professionalism and networking. So to me, 
my bias was that, okay, that's, isn't it obvious they're not five, right? But then I realized throughout the workshop, I realized that what is obvious to me, like, you know, using an iPhone 4 and not asking um, in the professional setting, are you married or do you have kids? Why don't you have kids? It's normality to me, but for other cultures, it's, uh, it's not something that I used to, you know? Not that everyone is used to uh, using knife or fork when they eat. Uh, it is normal in Western society, you know, for others you use hands um, or chopsticks or whatever not. Um, and for some cultures, asking how old are you is not considered to be rude or unprofessional because for them it's very important to know the context, how old you are, in order to know how to address you. In a lot of um, Asian cultures, in other in Korea, uh, you use different um, words to address a person who's the same age, uh, older than you, or younger than you. Um, or to know where you're married, it's also important for people to identify where are you at this stage of life. Um, and you know, after this particular workshop, I realized that you know whatever is obvious, it's not obvious for everyone. So set some rules. You know, and the best thing you can do is clarify, 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 and make sure it's really, really down to the point. Like what time is it going to be a submission day? How much are you going to contribute? What is the next step? And um, the best thing you can do with that is asking open questions, not close questions. Like, do you, um, will you deliver on time? Yes and no. Um, or, oh, but what do you think will be the best day for you to deliver? most efficient way, most possible day, and the person gives you an answer. The reason for that is that for a lot of cultures, um, there is no such thing as saying no. A lot of cultures, uh, for example, in Japan or in India, uh, they will always say yes. If you ask ask a close question, um, do you think this is going to be done on time on this day? Yes, 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 yes. But it means that they do hear you they do hear what you're saying, but um, yeah, it's it's impolite to say no in some culture. That's what I mean. So it's... that's uh, exists in the Arabic culture <laughs> yeah, as well. So in the Arabic, yeah. culture, not exactly that way, but in the Arabic culture, whatever you say, you will say inshallah. So inshallah, God yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, pretty much that that can be a no. Inshallah, inshallah. Will we deliver on time for this deadline or inshallah? Inshallah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> well, I think these are these are really really good advices, and um, I'm I'm enjoying this discussion a lot because this is also a topic that is very close to my heart. And um, with with your expertise, I'm actually I've learned a lot of new things right now. But uh, we can't go on forever because the episode is coming to its end. Um, so to finish strong, I'll give the last words to you. So what would you say are the most important takeaways to succeed in both international group work, but also in inter- uh, intercultural communication in general? Okay, that's a good one. <laughs> Number one will be do not assume that your reality is exactly the reality of a person you're talking to. Um, do not assume that they think exactly the same way that you think. So in order to overcome this problem, you need to clarify, clarify, and clarify. And there is better to over-communicate than assume. Number two will be be curious, have an open mind and try to not be judgmental. I know it's difficult because some people might behave in a very, very different way than you. 
and inappropriate what is in your culture, but do not judge and be curious, be interested, try to learn more. Um, the third one will be sometimes be like a parrot, <laughs> uh, especially if you're in a new culture, um, try to somehow mimic the way people behave. And if you're comfortable with that, um, continue doing so. If you're not comfortable, try to see where this comfort zone for you to fit in. At the same time, stay yourself and not lose your cultural identity. And number four, I would say don't judge people based on the culture or the background because we are like onions. We are multi-layered and diverse. And it could be sometimes that a millennial startup founder um, who likes wakeboarding uh, from Nigeria has more in common with someone um, from Germany uh, who is also entrepreneur who likes to water ski than simply with another person from Nigeria. So try to see all those different layers and not uh, stereotype and jump to conclusions when you see um, passports or nationality or skin color or the accent. So try to go beyond that more on a personality level. I think these are excellent recommendations um, and uh, I will personally definitely um, make sure to keep these things in mind uh, and especially also to, to learn to create safe spaces and to lead by example um, in, in my next group work. So thank you so much, Ola, for, thank you. for your time and for your advices. This has been a huge pleasure to me. Um, and besides that, thanks uh, for listening, everyone. This has been the last episode before our summer break, unfortunately, uh, but we will be back in September for the next semester. And until then, stay healthy and stay safe and enjoy your summer. <laughs>